welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, your weekly glimpse into the life of indie author Paul Teague. Find out how many words got written over the past seven days, hear what's on the planning board, and discover the tips and tools which Paul is using to self-publish his books and get them selling as fast as possible. This is Paul's Podcast Diary, and here's your show host, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, episode number 116. And this is for Saturday, the 1st of September, 2018. It's a slightly different format diary today in that the diary element will be a little bit shorter. And then we've got one of these special interviews that I run. Um, this is the second I've done over summer. Uh, but the reason for that is I'm away all weekend with the family. So I've recorded this a little bit earlier. And uh, and obviously, so that you don't get short change in duration, I had a lovely interview that I wanted to make sure that you heard of this podcast. So I've added that to the end of the diary element this week. Okay, so last weekend, I did a, I think it was about two hour talk on vellum at the Historical Novel Society event. Now, it was quite funny, actually, because uh, you remember that we were up at the Rudrig concert in Stirling uh, the previous week. And then as I was heading for this, I hadn't, I, I'd kind of put it in my sat-nav. And as we were driving up, I thought, well, this is virtually exactly the same journey as we did the previous week. And it was, it was just a left turn um, a couple of miles before Stirling. And there was the hotel. So it was a brilliant drive. Um, I arrived in plenty of time, had nice uh, time or plenty of time for a cup of tea in, <laughs> in the uh, hotel reception before I went on. Um, and I said to you that I was using a Mac. It was hard with a Mac. I'm not good with Macs, as you know. And because the computer I'm at at the moment, when I usually use Vellum, I have lovely big screens and it's on a PC and it all works perfectly. But I had to do a demonstration with people asking questions and things. But it seems to have gone all right. I think I enthused more people than I, I put off. But it was interesting, actually, because it, these were historical novels that they had concerns that don't even bother me as a thriller sci-fi writer. So, for instance, they all like to have, or they're, they're quite keen on a drop cap, and they quite like to have fancy fonts, as you would do with a, a historical novel. So um, there were some very specific sort of needs that people had there. And actually, was I was saying to people, you know, you may decide you absolutely should use vellum for your ebooks because, of course, it makes no difference in an ebook. You know, there's no point having fancy fonts and things in an ebook because people are just changing back to Arial or Garamond or whatever they want and change it to what size they want. But I said that when it comes to paperbacks, in actual fact, just because of the specific needs of your genre, you may find that you're better off just taking it to a book formatter who can make it look beautiful because it is quite important, I think, for a hardback or paperback in historical fiction that it does look beautiful in the way it doesn't really matter in a thriller or a sci-fi book. So it was really interesting to to move in that different genre. Uh, by the way, just in case you missed it, I, when I was promoting last week's podcast on social media, I kind of made a reference to, to Poldark. I didn't explain it in the diary last week. So the, the reason that I made the Poldark reference is that the original Ross Poldark from the 70s when I was a kid, and I used to love it then, by the way, was a gentleman called Robin Ellis. And he was the Saturday, I think it was the Saturday or the Friday guest. They had him for, for the evening meal. They didn't eat him for the evening meal. They, they had him as a guest at the evening meal. And um, it was Robin Ellis, the original uh, TV Poldark. 
So that's why I posted on social media uh, saying about that. But I didn't mention Robin Ellis last week, so it might not have made sense to you. Um, and then the other thing is, is I also made a, a little mistake last week. I said that, uh, please, I checked it because I might have got into trouble, um, that I thought who, who to Trust was out of KTP Select, but I put a wrong date on my calendar and who to trust is actually out of ktp select on the 10th of september in a week or two's time so then at that point all of my books will be um out of ktp select and listed wide so just a couple of little tweaks and corrections there to last week i do want to recommend to you and i've put the link on the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com patrick sheriff who's been a previous guest on this show um and also I, i share quite a lot of what patrick's doing because he's doing some really nice kind of author uh, chats and thoughts on his YouTube channel. But he shared with me a post that he'd just written called Everything You Ever Really Need to Know About Marketing Your Book, an interview with Matthew Dons. And uh, I had a look at this. It's quite um, a long uh, blog post interview. It's really good. There's some really good stuff on there about marketing your book and stuff that you might not hear or read elsewhere. So I put the link on the show notes, selfpublishingjourneys.com. Highly recommend that you take a look at Patrick's uh, blog post there and uh, just do keep an eye on Patrick he's doing some really nice stuff on YouTube I'm, I'm catching them all as they're popping up in my feed and um, I think he's got some really interesting thoughts on writing and he comes from a, a journalistic career and if you want to check him out uh, just search for him on this podcast because we did an interview a couple of months ago I think it was um, again another little tweak I, I said last week that I had triggered the edit on so many lies with Helen Fazal and I had to think about it and I, I actually stood Helen down on so many lies I'm gonna let it sit in the drawer for a little while because I thought you know actually um, the cash is flowing again now and it's and it's quite nice to have it flowing and I just thought you know what? I'm not going to spend that money just yet I'm in no rush to get so many lies out the only reason I need to get it out is because I've got it written but I, I'd started to schedule it and I thought right I need to leave some days for editing and I thought Joe I don't want to do the editing on this yet I don't want I don't want to do the editing to get it ready for for Helen to put it in a fit state for Helen to edit um so and that sounds like cleaning before the cleaner comes around to the house doesn't it but but uh, you know clearly uh, you pay up an editor uh, by the hour for a job I don't want Helen having to spend all of my budget on uh, editing stupid mistakes and continuity errors and things so I try and give it to her as clean as I can make it um, so that she's not doing the silly stuff she's actually uh, grappling with important stuff by the time she gets it um, and as so I was scheduling it out and I thought Do you know what I, I want to keep working on marketing stuff until the end of um, well until we hit sort of October and possibly even into October I want to just keep working on the marketing stuff until I've got it done and I feel like I'm on top of it so um, I'm not going to write and I don't want to edit until I'm on top of the marketing stuff because you heard me moaning beforehand about not having enough time to do the marketing stuff well I, I want to do it so um, I don't I might even postpone writing for another month but I'm going to just focus on the marketing stuff I've got a list on my board I've started to work through it a lot of it's been done but I haven't done a lot of other things and I'm, I think I, I think I'm going to say that I want the marketing work done the marketing books read that I put on the list I want all of that out of the way before I do anything new process anything you or release anything you so that book's not going to go stale it's not like a piece of bread you know I won't come back to it in two months time and found it's gone moldy um so I'm going to come back to it when I'm ready um and re- you know release it and do the edits on it when I'm ready but I think I need to continue to prioritize the marketing work every bit of marketing work I'm doing um is bringing more money in it's making things more effective um you know even if it's in a small way and that's what I want to do so that's where I'm going to put my attention at the moment I really am finding my marketing time very 
productive at the moment and I want to carry on. I said that as this was a slightly different uh, podcast diary that I just give you the numbers for a month of BookBub. So by a month, this is a, this is four weeks. So it's 28 days of BookBub. Um, so it's like, you know, the Monday, the 31st until Sunday, the, what was it? 26th, something like that. But it's the first uh, 28 days of BookBub or, or four weeks. So I've, um, I've ranked the, the income. Uh, in terms of which was the most profitable outlet. And it's been very interesting to me because I think I'm pretty sure at one stage iBooks was the most profitable outlet. It was certainly the one that surprised me most. But Amazon has now overtaken everything and is the the most profitable outlet. And it's very, very interesting that um, Amazon is holding very strongly where iBooks has dipped a bit now. Um, It's still doing all right, but it's dipped a bit. And Barnes and Noble is also another surprise. Let me just go through uh, where I'm at now. Let me just give you the normal provisos. I've had to estimate a lot of these. Um, I, I know that uh, uh, Draft the Digital is uh, often revises the numbers, so, uh, sometimes up, sometimes down. So I'm just giving you the numbers I've got in my dashboard. So th- these may change, but at least it gives us an idea. So uh, my number one earning platform was Amazon. Uh, and in 28 days, I've earned £2,318.90 on Amazon. My iBooks income is £1,900.30. Uh, Big surprise, Barnes & Noble, £521.38, making it my third biggest outlet. Now, here's a surprise, and this is a hot-off-the-press surprise. I think last week I'd said to you that my Google Play income, I think I'd made about £16 through the Publish Drive interface, but I've only literally just um, listed things on Publish Drive. And then I think on Google Play, I'd said something, oh, it's about, I can't remember what it was, about £20. It was less than £20, I think. When I looked at Google Play in preparation for this uh, podcast diary, my Google Play suddenly rocketed up. So Google Play at the moment tells me that I made £301.94 on Google Play. So again, the interface is horrible. You have to download a spreadsheet to get the numbers on Google Play. There's no lovely interface or anything like that. It's just horrible. And then you have to sort of look at the numbers and see what you've earned. And then there were just about four or five transactions in there. When I looked uh, before I just recorded the diary, it's telling me that I've earned 3194 from Google Play now, which makes it, if that's true, and again, I've got to keep my powder dry with this because uh, I really don't know what the, the final figures are going to be on a lot of these. It's just the information I've got. Um, that makes Google Play better than Kobo because Kobo income is at £206.69 at the moment. So I think, um, I mean, that's fantastic. If that is what I've made from Google Play, I'd be very happy with that, but I'll, I'll have to confirm that later. So the surprises of this are a positive. I mean, Amazon did what you would expect it to do. iBooks and Barnes and Noble have been a very pleasant surprise, and and I honestly I take back everything I ever said, um, being snooty about Barnes and Noble. You can't knock five hundred pounds worth of income from one source um, over twenty eight days. Yeah, you know, that's. I, I bet many of you listening to this would be delighted with just that Barnes and Noble income for one month. And, and frankly, I would be on an ongoing basis. If that's all I was making, I'd be very happy with that. So, uh, you know, let's not be snobby about this. So Barnes & Noble, let me say it once again, I eat my words. I'm eating humble pie. All right. I'm not going to get all snooty about Barnes & Noble. That did very well for me. I'm very happy with that £521 from Barnes & Noble. Um, Google Play is a surprise. If I have made 300 quid from Google Play, that's fantastic. There's uh, lots to Google Play for. 
and on Kobo. Now, Kobo's the one I'm disappointed with. I said this to you last week. I just sort of felt Kobo's got a great infrastructure. It's really well set up. It's a you know, beautiful interface. I love, love, love Kobo. Get on very, very well with it. Really happy to be listed directly in Kobo. But I'm disappointed with that income. I act's very poor. Uh, for the amount of books I've shifted on Kobo, that's really poor. Um, my numbers are really high on Kobo in terms of free books shifted. So I, I do need to uh, look at Kobo. Um, I know that Rachel Amphlett now uh, is very good at Kobo and she's back in the country. So I might schedule a little chat with Rachel at some point and say, what am I doing wrong, Rachel? Because this, you know, this doesn't feel right to me, this Kobo income. We're shifting lots of free books. I don't know why I'm getting the read through on there. So, uh, so Kobo is probably the, 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 um, surprise disappointment. Barnes and Noble, Google Play iBooks are the pleasant surprise. Now, so let's compare the 28 days of income. So last time, my last book bub over the same time period, I earned £4,284.85. This time I've earned 5,800, sorry, I wish it was, £5,249.21. So I've roughly earned this time, um, is that a thousand more? Just less than a thousand, about £950 more. But you've got to take off that my ad costs, and I've spent £802.77 on adverts. So um, if you take the ads off, I've made this time £4,462. Last time I made £4,284. So I've pretty well made the same amount this time as I made last time. And to achieve those numbers, I've, I've thrown some ads at it, quite a lot of ads at it too. So either way... Um, I'm quite happy with that. It really, that doesn't trouble me that we've reached all the financial objectives. Now, what I don't know now is I'm interested to know what now happens in months two, three, four, five, because with the last book Bob I got, remember when this was KDP select only, this had, well, I was still feeling the knock on effect when um, I got the second book Bob. So I, I waited six months and it had a positive effect. So I think roughly speaking, um, I'd had something like a two, uh, about two thousand pound month, maybe the month after. Then I think it had two one thousand pound months. Then it had started to drop below the thousand, but it, it had always, ever since the first big book bub, it's always been considerably more income than I was earning before the book bub. So I think what's going to be interesting now is to know is to know what the evergreen effect of this is going to be, um, especially when it's spread out across five different um, outlets. So the answer is. I don't know. What is interesting is that Kindle, what happened with, with uh, Amazon, and this is probably to do with algorithms and things like that. There was a very definite point last time when Amazon dropped off. So it was it was a hundred and something pounds a day. There was a very definite point when you could see it drop to about 50 to 60 pounds a day. Now, 50 to 60 pounds a day, 50, if I take it 50 times 30, that's 1,500 a month. So it doesn't sound much per day. But over a month, that's one £1,500 £1, worth of income. So £50 a day is good on Amazon. So at the moment, um, I, I'm pretty well earning sort of £50, £60, £70 a day from Amazon. And then I'm, I'm earning other bits on the other outlets and very, very little on Kobo. But uh, iBooks is still $30, $40 a day. Um, Barnes & Noble's about sort of, uh, well, it's about $15, $15, $20 a day. And then Google Play, I mean, who knows what's going on with Google Play? <laughs> it's just constantly a surprise, Google Play. But um, so, sorry, I don't know how that's going to go over the next month, but I, I, I'll let you know. I'll let you know how it's going. But the let me just tell you what my conclusions are from, from a month. My conclusions are, and I think I said this last week, always list series on BookBub. I mean, I if you list a standalone, 
you'll get a lot of vanity metrics, which is that you'll get a lot of free books into people's hands. You'll probably cover your costs. Um, uh, sorry, a ni- I beg your pardon, a 99 pence or cents deal. If, if you just give it away for free uh, and you've got no more books in series, you'll just get rid of a lot of books. It'll only be a vanity metric and you'll make no money from that. You might get you might get page reads, I guess. You could get page reads from that. So you might get your money back on a free book, only if it's in KDP Select, though. Um Otherwise, I don't see how people make their money if you can't get reads. Um, if you, but you, so I say listed a series. I, I honestly, um, I've got loads of books, but I ain't listing them on BookBub unless they're in a series. It's just not happening. Um, not much difference between wide and KDP select. Um, you know, pretty well, it's pretty well the same numbers in terms of income, but I would say to you that KDP select is a lot easier to estimate your income. So, you know, pretty well what you get on your, um, what's it called? Not book funnel. What's it called? The thing that I get my book stuff off book report, off book report, which is where I, I get my income from Amazon every, every day. Um, the book report, uh, pretty well tells you what you're going to get during the month. It's usually a bit more than that, which is nice. But, um, if you just do KDP select, you pretty well know what you're earning all the time. As you've heard me say with my numbers, I haven't really got a clue what I'm going to get until I get it in the bank. So I am estimating a lot more. There's a lot more guesswork involved if you go wide. Um, I would say that BookBub ads are great. Give them a try. Track down Adam Croft's training to find out how to do this. Adam Croft really is the only person I think who's doing really good training on this and has managed to test them at scale. So track down Adam Croft's training on this. He did a free video for the Alliance of Independent Authors. And uh, he's got a training module in Mark Dawson's um, training console, which is also very good. I've worked through it. Um, you know, really, you want to be getting the training from Mark Dawson, Mark Dawson's um, outlet, because uh, it's very, very good and much more detailed. But just make sure you're checking out Adam Croft for BookBub ad training. Um, I would love to be doing Facebook ads, but as you know, I can't do those at the moment. And there's nothing, you know, just because I would cheese off with Facebook at the moment doesn't mean for one minute that I wouldn't be all over Facebook ads at the moment. It's a very, um, it's a big source of frustration for me not being able to do Facebook at the moment um, but as you know we're stuck with that for the time being and um, other learning points from this just because you've got one book bub doesn't mean that you're going to get another um, I just as you heard last week I just put in two sci-fis and I got knocked back again uh, so far I've not had a sci-fi uh, book bub I really want to get a sci-fi book bub to see what there is to play for I've never really got my sci-fis going they're good stories. No reason why they shouldn't get going. So I'd really like to get a book, but I am going to try every single month now while I'm wide and just going to keep going at that with the sci-fis. And then really in conclusion, you know, this has obviously been great for short-term income. You, you know that I needed this income in the business and it's been really, really handy to have this income in the business. I'm, I'm you know, I can't tell you how happy um, I am about that. But but let me just remind you, and I said this to you, the first book, Bob, I, you know, I, I know how it is because I listen to other authors who are doing, you know, just way better than me. And I sit there thinking, why can't I do this? Why can't I just have a little bit of this action? So I think we all do this at whatever stage we're at. So I know there will be a lot of you listening to this thinking, you know, I would be, that would be everything I needed if I could have a a £5,000 income month on my book. So I I understand that. But let I I just want to put this into some context. All right, that's brilliant income in the business. I'm very, very happy about that because when we get income, uh, we get opportunities and possibilities. Okay, if you have no income, you don't, you know, you're limited with those. So I'm very, very happy with that as a result. But as I said last time, a BookBub uh, promo does not make your author career. It certainly 
helps it gets your books out there it certainly helps to find readers you know so for instance a number of people following me now on bookbub we're nearing 300 people next time i release a book that'll be 300 people who who will certainly consider buying that book so you know there's no way you lose from having a bookbub uh, not not only at a sort of visibility level uh, but also at an income level of course so you don't lose from having a bookbub but just because you've had a bookbub and i know it feels like the holy grail to a lot of people right that doesn't mean i've made it now when i've made it i'll be making three thousand to five thousand pounds a month well we'll say dollars we'll say dollars three thousand to five thousand dollars per month regularly and i will be very happy with my author career if i ever get to that level i will be very happy with that very very happy with that but that has got to be reliable i need a you know a formula for that month in month out and i can't just hope that i get a book bub every six months it's just not enough so although it's been very good as a as a short term two book bubs fantastic the income has been fantastic i'm way above this year um the what is the average author income is it something like ten thousand pounds or something so i'm gonna be way above average author income this year so you know all of those are are achievements on our author journey and if you go back to listen to my original diaries uh you know way back when i started i was just making nothing i couldn't make a hundred dollars a month and things like that it, these are all important steps on this author journey but in terms of me building a, uh, an author career you know i'm not going to be happy until we can get that three to five thousand dollars per month income regularly so that i don't have to work for anybody else or have anything else going on to bring the income in that that's when i'm going to be happy so you know just to put that in context um it's been fantastic having a book bub it's going to really help me my income's going to be up for the next couple of months and that gives me you know buying possibilities editing possibilities and things like that but it, it doesn't make my author career the work continues and this is just another stepping stone along the way and that isn't glass half full I'm just very keen to contextualize this because I know that if you've just written your first book and maybe you've made, you know, 10 pounds worth of sales in the last month and, you know, you're thinking I would give everything to get 5,000, you know, have a 5,000 pound month. Uh, yes, I would. I, and I would love to have a 5,000 pound month next month. But, you know, we need to be doing that constantly. And that's what I'm aiming for. And I'll take as many book bubs as I can get. But what I, I what I've got to do is find the secret to getting that coming in, you know, every month. That's that. Then I could be an author full time. Okay, so I hope that was useful. I uh, just wanted to mention our new patrons this week. Now I might have missed a few off because I'm recording this early this week. So I just wanted to thank uh, Queeve McDonald, who is a former guest on this show. Thank you very much, Queeve, for supporting me on the. Um, on the Patreon account, uh, Queeve was the gentleman who gave me the excellent idea, which has revolutionized my email marketing of doing more personalized emails. I sent another one at the weekend, Queeve. They just go great. So that was inspired. Thank you very much. I should be joining your Patreon account, but thank you very much for that. Uh, Paul Hughes, who I've been talking to on Twitter. Thank you very much for. Uh, supporting me via Patreon, Paul, and Joe Cook has also become a new patron. So um, if you're sort of sitting on the sidelines there, this is the place to be now. It's working really well, these DVD extras. You know, I'm posting regularly extra information. And when you're in Patreon, of course, you can ask me those questions and um, and I'll just usually record a video and give you an answer for it. So that's the place to be if you want sort of direct contact um, so that I can give specific answers to questions. 
So um, we're as good as there with the Patreon numbers now. Uh, I said I'd wait till we got to 30, but I, I, we're going to get there. I'm, I'm confident enough of that. So I have announced that we'll do a Patreon Q&A this month. So I think the deadline to answer a question this month is something like September the 5th, I think I said. So if you get in there quick and you want to ask me a question, you've got a burning question, the cutoff is 4 p.m. UK time, Wednesday the 5th of September, and I'll either be recording the Q&A either that night or the day after. So you need to get your question in by then. So I would love to see you over at Patreon. Uh, the address is patreon.com slash Paul Teague. And your support on Patreon basically allows this uh, podcast to continue and flourish. And also it allows me to per- personalize it for you as well. So um, that's pretty well it for the podcast diary element of the show. I just wanted to let you know that we have a guest on Monday. Um, my guest is Peter Mortimer, who is a poet, a playwright, a journalist, and a publisher. He's lived in the northeast of England for more than 40 years, and Peter has a fantastic author journey. This is an author interview like you've never heard before on this podcast. Now, I work with Peter on the New Writing North. He was one of the clients I was working with on that project work that I took on earlier on in the year. We got on really well. Uh, it's a great interview, but just if you want to listen to uh, a, a completely different way of being an author. Listen to Peter. He's, he's in his seventies now. I think that's right. Um, and he's still going strong and he's still looking for his next adventure. And it's just a great story. So that's going to be interview episode number 120 of the self publishing journeys podcast. And that will be dropped into the feed on Monday, the 3rd of September. And by the way, I have started to book in interviews again for the regular weekly interviews. So they are going to be back from. I think it's the first Monday, the 1st of October, isn't it? Yeah, Monday, 1st of October, the weekly interviews are back uh, every Monday. And I'm booking those now and I'll be recording them very soon. So thank you very much for listening to this podcast diary. Don't turn off your feed because you've got a great interview coming up next. I'll have another diary update for you next Saturday. In the meantime, I hope you have a great week of writing and stand by for the interview. You're listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the essential weekly podcast for all indie authors who want to get their work published and making sales. You can access previous episodes and the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. But now... It's time for this week's interview. As I've recorded a shorter podcast diary this week, I thought it would be a great opportunity to share this interview on a great innovation for authors using the blockchain. Now, this interview was originally recorded for my crypto news podcast, but please don't go away. Don't tune out. Don't let that put you off. This is really relevant for all authors, particularly indie authors. This is important stuff for writers, I think, and it could potentially revolutionize the way that we all sell our books in the future. I recorded this interview with my crypto co-host, Alison Ingleby, who's also a self-published author. So you're going to get two authors for the price of one in this interview. We're chatting to Suki Jutler, herself also an author, but also the author advisor for Publica and the world's first number one best-selling blockchain author. Publica is described as an evolutionary publishing platform using blockchain and cryptocurrency technology to innovate in how books are funded, distributed, bought and sold. Put very simply, it's what you and me do every day of the week. <laughs> that It's an indie author's life and Publica is going to be able to help with that. Now, it might not be ready now, but it will be fairly soon. So really, we're kind of taking a step forward with some new technology here. Now, Suki, our interview guest, left a decade of corporate life to become a serial entrepreneur and author. When we chatted with Suki, we started by asking her firstly how she'd become an author. 
I was basically blogging for a long time. And then finally, um, I thought, you know, I'm really going to give this a shot. And in 2016, I actually had an opportunity to contribute to the first book ever written on the topic of fintech, because about two years ago, it was um, it was quite a new topic. Uh, so fintech is finance and banking. And um, I, I come from a corporate background. And that was at the time when uh, fintech was actually one of the most exciting parts um, happening in the banking space. So um, I basically wrote a chapter uh, that went into that book. That book has um, 40 chapters. So it was a compilation book and it was published by a traditional publisher. So that was my first foray into uh, being an author. And um, But that was really done through the um, traditional route. Um, so it was good to have that experience, but um, there wasn't much sort of um, control over what I could contribute to or you know how the book cover would look like. And um, so basically, I really wanted to write my own book. And the book that was burning on my heart was actually um, writing about how I moved and transitioned away from a, a decade of corporate banking into setting up and running my own businesses. So um, at that time as well, I was also sort of, um, uh, you know, um, um, uh, in a crossroads in my life, actually, I was thinking because I'd run a number of businesses whilst I was um, I was dabbling in businesses on the weekend and building things, you know, during my lunch break because um, I really did want to escape the corporate rat race. And so um, I had to make a decision um, about, you know, whether to leave the corporate life and jump into my business. And to help me with that decision making process, I actually started to do a lot of research about, you know, what's my purpose? What are my values and what do I want to do? So all of these things actually uh, became material for for the book that I ended up writing. And uh, it's it's called Escape the Cubicles, just putting it up on the screen. So it's called Escape the Cubicle, Quit the Job You Hate, Create a Life You Love. And this is the book that I self-published in um, uh, just last year, actually. And um, so that was my first foray into um, actually publishing it on my own, but using uh, professional cover designers and uh, typesetters. And I'm a member of um, Ally, which is the Alliance of Independent Authors. So it's a professional organization for self-published authors. So um, I learned a lot with them. And um, so I did that book. And then earlier on this year in April, um, I was involved in some initiatives in understanding how um, the creative and publishing space could be disrupted using blockchain. So I, I was um, asked actually by um, Ally, the Alliance of Independent Authors, to um, come up with a white paper on how this basically would look like. What would the publishing landscape look like um, if we implemented blockchain um, and cryptocurrencies? So um, I sort of... Um, spent some time doing some research on that and then uh, published um, this uh, book, which is, um, we've called it a white paper, but it's essentially, it's a book, it's 10,000 words. And this, that book um, is actually freely available, just putting it up on the screen again for your uh, viewers to see. So it's called Blockchain for Books, and it talks about how blockchain can be used in the publishing industry, um, and it's available uh, free to download, so I can share those links with you um, afterwards. Um, so yeah, that, that's my journey, and um, I love blogging as well. I have my own blog, so I'm just always um, writing things, and um, I do have more plans to write more books. So I'm, I'm trying to average one a year, which I've done so far since 2016, so I need to get going on my next one if I'm going to make it this year. So that's the author bit. What about the crypto bit? Have you been holding, you had a little dabble there with Bitcoin and any of the other coins? 
Yeah, so um, I sort of like accidentally fell down the blockchain hole, to be honest. So um, as I was, as I mentioned, as I was uh, transitioning out of the corporate world, um, the only parts that was actually really interesting me was the fintech element. So I was looking around and looking at all these startups that were using micropayments and using this thing called you know, distributed ledger technology and blockchain and cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin. So I got really interested in how that was all working. And I just started to read more books around it and just started to get really interested in the topic. And then I was asked to do the white paper for um, for Ally on books and blockchain. So I started really understanding that space. And then um, as I was doing the research for the white paper, uh, I was in contact with um, Publica, who is the um, Latvian company, uh, who is actually one of the first to put books on the blockchain. So I actually started to have a lot of conversations with them and just getting really interested in what they were doing. And that's how I came to basically publish my book on their platform and, and go live with that. So that was actually the first time I downloaded a, um, a digital wallet. So, you know, this was completely new to me. So uh, I'm, I'm relatively new to the space. But I think in crypto land, like a week is like a year, right? Yep. Things just change so fast. So um, I, I remember setting aside like an hour just to set up my wallet because I can be technologically challenged at times but it was really simple it's like 10 minutes or so then I I, I was um, you know some people were sending me some uh, some um, ethers and bitcoins and I was understanding how that process worked you know when someone sent me some ethers uh, there was something called ether gas and I was like well, what is that and I was like oh okay it's a transaction fee right so um, yeah so I don't do crypto trading um, I, I probably I wouldn't advise anyone to do it unless they really know what they're talking about. But it's been a really interesting and great journey to sort of really understand how this system and process works, because it can sound quite scary to someone who's not done it before. But I think the only way to learn is to just to jump in like it, it doesn't cost you anything to open up a digital wallet. You can just try it, you know, maybe send a couple of quid here and there and just see how the system works. Um, so, yeah, I don't do any trading. I have a digital wallet with, you know, a, a couple of pounds worth of ethers and bitcoins. But that, that's about it. <laughs> and a few pebbles. <laughs> Yeah, you're yeah. you're a hodler like us then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I, I have this running joke with my um, uh, team members. Uh, so Publica, their cryptocurrency is called Pebbles. And on my uh, business and market orders, we are looking to implement um, a currency uh, which uh, which can allow you to uh, buy uh, gold jewelry. So I just tell people, if you want to pay me, I only take Pebbles or I take gold. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. So so we mentioned in the team introduction and you touched on it there but you're the um, author advisor for publica so mm. tell us a bit more about publica who they are what they're doing yeah sure so um, like i said like i mentioned i was introduced to them um last year in july when i was actually researching for this um uh, blockchain for books and i got to meet the uh ceo joseph marks um, uh, um a few times we were corresponding uh, having skype calls and i was just really interested to see what they were doing so essentially what they're doing is allowing um, a book to be bought and sold um using blockchain technology and essentially what this what they're really doing is um, um, providing a service for authors um, so that they can basically it's a, another way to distribute their product so I see a book as a product um, you can use their platform to basically um, uh, sell your book and by selling your book using the blockchain 
all that really means is the author now gets paid um, directly. They will get paid 90% of the price that they've set. So just in comparison to authors who are very familiar with Amazon, um, it's usually 70%. Uh, royalties that you get and compare that to the traditional book industry which is like seven or ten percent at the most so with uh, publica um, um, they are 90 percent profits you get to keep the money goes directly to the author so you've you've essentially created an author-centric financial model you know you don't have authors or creatives who are now begging people for money or trying to track their payments and the other great thing that publica are actually doing which you know was so exciting for me is when you um, purchase a book on the on the blockchain, you can. Uh, so actually, the way it looks to be, you know, just to sort of um, uh, make it look um, normal, I guess, is it's just an app. So you'll go to the app store. Uh, it's called Publica. You download the app. It looks like it, it's just like the Kindle app. You can browse the books and then uh, you can just pay. And when you um, ask to pay, it will show you the price in dollars. And then underneath that, it will show you the equivalent in pebbles. And then when you pay, it takes the money out of your digital wallet, which is also stored within that app. So that's just really how it looks like. But for the, from the author's perspective, um, it's quite simple. You don't need to worry too much about what's going on in the background. But the other exciting thing is once you've bought a book and it's sitting on your app, the Publica app, once you've read it, you can now gift that book to someone else or you can sell it on. And with the smart contracts that you can program, um, I can essentially um, program in my smart contract with this book token is sold um, first time round, um, you know, I get 90% of profits. But then if this book changes hands again, so there's another transaction, I will now get 15% or 20% of that re of whatever the retail price is. So now I've incentivized someone to sell my book. And then at the same time, the author gets a secondary residual income coming back. And because you're using the blockchain, every point of that transaction is now being tracked. So you can see exactly where your books are going. So in Publica's um, ecosystem, um, the cryptocurrency is called Pebble, and that Pebble um, allows you to buy a book token. So the token is essentially representing a book that you can buy and sell. Um, so essentially, that's the way um, um, the whole ecosystem works um, in that realm. That's extremely exciting for authors who, once upon a time, would have sold a book once, taken mm. their cuts, and it, would have, it could have gone through a second-hand shop, a charity mm. shop many many times and you'd have yes. taken no cut of that deal so yes. i think it's quite easy to see what's in it for authors from a reader's point of view though what what's in it for a reader because um for instance i got all my books on kindle mm. I, am i going to have to i'm going to have to swap does that integrate with my kindle in any way or am i going to have to read on a new platform yeah great question paul so um the benefits for the authors are, are quite uh, straightforward so what is it what is in it for a reader so um on the blockchain, if a reader wants to basically buy a book, and um, so again, it's on the app, and the book will sit within your app. So the benefit, for the one of the first benefits I would say is um, that book now actually belongs to you forever. It's actually yours. So someone listening to this might be like, Suki, that's not a benefit. Any book I buy, it belongs to me. No. <laughs> So if you have a Kindle and you are purchasing eBooks, you are actually buying a license to read that book. 
And I think there's not a lot of people that know that. So at any point in time, if um, you upset Amazon, they can go in and they can wipe your uh, account clean. So I think a couple of years ago, there was uh, some dispute between um, Hachette, I think, uh, one of the traditional publishers and Amazon. And then overnight, they just wiped clean some books that they just were, uh, they decided they weren't going to sell on the Amazon platform anymore. So one of the benefits is these books now belong to you. You actually bought it. So it belongs to you. The second thing that is so lovely is you can uh, buy multiple multiple copies of ebooks and gift them so you can actually buy 10 copies and just gift them away so um, at the book fair uh, Joseph Marks publica CEO he actually bought a couple of um, copies of my books and then gave them away as gifts to the people in the audience and and that transaction happens within 10 seconds and you know the money income that um, I, I got thanks to Joseph uh, you know go hits my wallet in like wow what 10 seconds so that's pretty cool. And then um, the other thing I would say, the third thing, uh, third benefit for readers is um, there's a resale value in a digital product. So usually you don't have a, re a resale value in digital products, especially secondhand, like physical secondhand books, right? Don't have any really value. And then um, with an ebook, there's there's no way to actually sell that on because of these digital rights uh, all locked in. But on the blockchain, you bought it, it, the book belongs to you, and now you can resell it on at any point in time. Um, and yeah, so, so I think that those are really the three key, key benefits for readers. Okay, and that, that's good because I did have a look at the detailed instructions on how you can read books, and it looked a pretty convoluted process. And I think that perhaps, um, I know once you've got it set up, that that might be okay, but a lot of people might be put off with that where they can literally go to Amazon and pay with one click on their debit card or whatever. Yes. And so I just got a couple of follow-up questions on that. So you made the point about the fact that you own the book rather than licensing the book, as mm -hmm. you might do from Amazon. But surely... In terms of the file, which that book is, can it only be read on the Publica app? So what happens then if the Publica app goes down, goes bust or something? Presumably, you also lose that book unless the file is compatible with, with other you know, other e-readers or something. And I guess, secondly, in terms of the resale aspect of it, how does that work in practice? At the moment, is it just, you know, if I knew Paul and I knew Paul wanted to buy the book, you know, we could agree a transaction between ourselves? Or is there some more, um, I guess, a marketplace type option that Publica are looking to develop to facilitate those transactions? Cool. So um, I'll go back to your first question. Um, which was, <laughs> oh, <sorry. laughs> Which was around how you read, how you, sorry, I should have asked one at a time. That, that's right. my fault, Suki. <laughs> so how would you, how would you read the book or how oh, do yeah. you own that book and read the yeah, book? Sure. Yeah. yeah, cool. So, um, so the great thing is with, um, so when, when I had my uh, book on the Publica platform, I basically submitted the files that I already have and those files that are already compatible with um, Amazon and Kobo. So it's simply an EPUB file um, and a JPEG uh, cover for um, JPEG file for the cover. And what basically happens is um, the files are actually sitting in a cloud server. And when you purchase the book, you are given uh, access to a private key, which unlocks that um, cloud server so that you can read those books. So that 
app actually is just a reader. You will just be able to read what's there. So if the app goes down, I don't know, like I think with Kindle, um, I mean, it's actually stored there. So everything's actually stored there and you can, uh, you'll have the copies there as well. So I think you could even um, have it on your desktop. You can download those files and read it there as well. So you could essentially open it up in any format because it's still, it's just a PDF. Um, it's a PDF file. And, and um, when you purchase the book, uh, you, the private key just unlocks a read access to that particular file. Um, so that's the first question. Then the second question, uh, uh, which I love as well, is how would that resale, reseller market work? So yes, Alison, um, what essentially would happen is uh, Publica is um, in their roadmap. They're uh, still developing this. They are going to have um, a marketplace or an exchange. So if someone um, has finished reading my book, they would anonymously list that there's this book called Escape the Cubicle and it's retailing at $14.97 um, if you buy a fresh copy from, from me. But if you want to buy it from uh, the secondhand dealer, perhaps they've priced it at $9.99. So, um, so then the other person who's ever browsing on the exchange, they will purchase the book. So some people have said, oh, this is probably not great because you're undercutting the author. But the way I see it is, you know, if I'm making a percentage of $10 rather than nothing, isn't that better than nothing? Uh, because otherwise, you there is no um, value in secondhand ebooks. You know, no one's being able to do that. So, yes, there would be a, a, a marketplace or an exchange, and then those transactions would happen in that way. So that aspect um, hasn't been built in Publica yet, but it's in the roadmap. You were just Paxman by Alison there. I thought you were, you were real Jeremy Paxman with those questions. Blimey. Sorry. <laughs> It's so, obviously on bad cop, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. It looks that way, Alison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll ask you something easier uh, now, Sue. Sorry, I'm just, I'm just really, you know, as an author, I'm really interested in some of these details of how perhaps, you know, Publica overcomes some of the, um, the sticking points with other forms of publishing. Yeah. Um, I'll just add as well, um, Alison, I know you said that you had a look at how the process would work for an author and a reader, and it looks a little bit convoluted. So yes, this is the feedback we've had from some people. And so we're basically working uh, on improving that. So what we're actually working on, and this is also in the roadmap being worked on by the developers, is when you now open the app, um, you won't necessarily see the crypto stuff, you'll just see uh, the fiat uh, conversion. And then what happens is when you open the app, you'll back it up with your, um, you'll basically uh, register it with your credit card. So you can now just buy and sell books without having to go off to an exchange and buy Ethers or buy Bitcoin or buy Pebbles. So you can now just buy the book and in the background, um, it will be converted to the relevant currency, cryptocurrency, and then sent to the uh, corresponding parties. So that's what we're working on as well. So really, when an author downloads an app, all they'll really see is a catalog of books. They can buy whatever they want and they just press the button and the, the money will just be taken off their card so they won't have to go to exchanges and, and hold ethers and, pebble, and pebbles and other stuff to, to start the transactions. So if that's the case, what is the need for pebbles in the first place and why couldn't it just be you know, a, a fiat currency marketplace? Mm. So I think this comes back down to um, why use blockchain in publishing and um, the, the essence and the premise is about giving authors and creatives more control. So making sure that the money goes back to the value creators and not being stuck in the middle layers of management and third parties. And so 
and, and to make that more effective, when you have, um, uh, you're operating on a blockchain, it becomes more powerful, I guess, uh, if you want to build a community to have your own cryptocurrency. And in the author world and readers, they are quite a close-knit community. So I do feel that, you know, there'll be early adopters. So I'm definitely an early adopter. I, I love doing new stuff that's unproven, um, you know, and um, I, I think it's quite fun. So I do think, you know, so my personal prediction is this, right? I think that um, the publishing space needs their own uh, um, version of Amanda Hocking. So um, Amanda Hocking was like a nobody, right? Until she just uploaded her book file to Amazon, ended up selling a million copies priced at 99 cents. And then she became like the ultimate role model. So every author now wanted to upload their books on Amazon and become a Kindle millionaires. But again, um, um, the the book platform on Amazon had been around for a number of years and it, there was just no traction, nothing was happening. But the moment they saw a bit of traction happening with Amanda Hocking's book, they started to push it forward. And then that's how she built the traction. And then they created a superstar on their own platform and then that brought in the mass crowd. So my personal prediction is um, there's going to be a few early adopters who are going to start dabbling around how to, you know, using blockchain as part of their author-centric business model. Um, there's going to be a few who are going to do well. And then when they start doing well, that's when the mass market will pay attention and say, okay, we want a piece of this action. And then that's at that point where it becomes very powerful to have, um, have a pebble um, and, and amass those pebbles because during that time, the value of that pebble goes up. So with fiat, you know, if you're selling 10 books at, 100, 10 books at $10, that's $100. But if you did that a few years ago and fast forward maybe another 18 months, that $100 will now be worth a lot more. So um, that's the whole premise behind creating that, that pebble. And when you have your own cryptocurrency and you add a community into it, that's where the value starts uh, being stored within, within that uh, uh, currency as well. Okay, so you've said we're in early adoption territory. I totally get it from an author's point of view. I'm very excited about it from an author's point of view. But I don't really get it from a reader's point of view. You know, I don't know uh, what's it going to take to prize that Kindle out of my hand <laughs> or that Kobo e-reader uh, to yeah. make me read one of your books. I mean, you're going to have to break the next Stephen King or something like that. Aren't you? You're going to have to have a Fifty Shades sensation um, on public. And by the way, mm. Alison and I are available as authors if you need that next sensation. Okay. <laughs> I'm not awesome. writing Fifty Shades, though. <laughs> mine's, mine's quite clean. <laughs> okay, so that, that's another great question, Paul. So, you know, for for, the, for a marketplace to work, you need both sides of, of the both sides of the participants to basically engage. So, for authors, it's very uh, obvious what the benefits are. So, how do you get readers on board? So, this is something that we are looking at, and you know, the biggest barriers that we're facing is. Um, you know, people don't like change. They're very used to their Kindle app. But again, if you think about it, even when the Kindle app came out, I was like, oh my God, I'm never going to read on this device. You know, it's really weird. And now I read predominantly on Kindle. So again, it's like that. I, I don't know if you've seen that curve, you know, that uh, early adoption and mass adoption. I think it's just, um, uh, a, you know, um, a matter of time until readers start 
understanding the benefits, the true benefits of owning a book on the blockchain. So that is, again, you actually own the book. You can gift copies away. You can actually um, uh, create an income stream for yourself. If, for example, um, um, I've spoken to some authors who are thinking of creating a wholesale reseller reseller network so what that basically means is they will um, offer like a hundred books to a particular person at a discounted price and then they will go on and resell your book so now you've got your little marketing people working for you so um, there is now a, an in, now an opportunity for readers to actually earn a bit of income. You know, I, it could be as big as you want it to be, or it could just be small amounts. Um, and then the other, you know, the great thing is uh, you're buying actually directly from the author. So if you really are, um, uh, you really want to support the author and you want to make sure that they, they are getting the value that they deserve, um, they will hopefully most likely prefer to buy directly from you and as an author you know we are we are told to have our own email lists so that we can have direct communication with our uh, our audience essentially so if you maybe send an email shot and ask them to buy for you know a book from you they will most likely do that to support you and um Another thing I was going to say is just completely slipped my mind. But, oh, yes, exclusivity. So you can actually uh, create uh, exclusive content that's only available on the blockchain. So there's a few authors I've spoken to who said that they're only going to have certain books available on the blockchain. So that, again, could act as an incentive for really, like, hardcore readers who really want that particular book to purchase it on the blockchain. Isn't the grim reality, though, that to get real traction, you, you kind of need to do what BookFundle have done, um, where you could maybe get your books and read them actually on a Kindle or a Kobo device. So like, you could email a PDF file to yourself and read it on a, on a Kindle device. You could do things like that on a Kobo. Isn't that really going to be the secret, a kind of Trojan horse philosophy that we sneak the files in through the back door? Mm, not sure actually because i think with the publica app uh, i'm not totally sure um whether you can take the books out of it or not i don't think you can because you know of the very fact that it's actually stored on the blockchain and that cloud server um so i guess you know maybe perhaps the reality would be some readers will have certain books on a kobo some on an amazon some on the publica app um to some readers, that might be a real pain, but to others, they might actually like that variety and choice, um, you know, because we are now living in a world of essentially decentralization and choices. The, you know, people want choice. They want the option to do things in certain ways. Um, but I do think that, you know, just alluding back to Alison's initial points about being able to make it really simple for authors and readers to be able to use this uh, um, this, this service, uh, um, this device, Publica's app, and making it as easy as possible to use, I think. And um, I think sometimes, so I'm just going to make a very broad statement, most authors are not very, you know, technically advanced. They prefer to stay away from the tech side. So, uh, my role in Publica is uh, how do I bring authors into this journey and make sure that they don't get scared uh, with this technology. So my job really is to just um, humanize it, you know, just show them in a very delicate and gentle way that this is something that you can use. And um, yeah, so that's essentially what my role is. <laughs> Hold well, their hands I'm, and I'm actually going to disagree with Paul a bit here. <laughs> oh. I, yeah, because I mean, so... so 
My personal preference in terms of if I'm as a reader, I prefer to read paperbacks, then my Kindle and then my phone. So I don't really like reading on my phone just because it's screen time. But I think there's an important thing to remember, which is that there are millions of people in the world who don't have Kindles or, you know, Kobo e-readers and perhaps can't afford them. But they do have a smartphone of sorts. And. I don't know if obviously public is still in its infancy um, and, it, and it's looking primarily in dollars, but potentially by targeting some of those growing markets in terms of mobile use. So I'm thinking, you know, India is a prime one where you've got lots mm. of English speaking people, but, mm. um, you know, and there's a lot of countries where actually cryptocurrencies are uh, more um, respected and, you know, adapted because, you know, they don't have the banking systems in place like we do in, you know, the UK and the US and those countries. And and potentially maybe by targeting some of those um, markets where there's potentially a huge appetite for books and for, for reading literature, but they don't necessarily have access to the Amazons and the Kobos, etc., that actually that could be a niche where Publica really could dominate. Um, and it gives a different marketplace for authors to be able to target, which they can't target elsewhere. I'm so glad you said that, Alison. That is spot on. So I don't know if you're aware of this, because, uh, but I think there's like 96% of people around the world have never logged into an Amazon account because it's not available. So you are actually spot on. So with, with authors, right, um, there is a huge tendency to think the world is just Amazon and a little bit of Kobo, right? So we think the only way you can shift books is through Amazon or Kobo, but that is not real life. There is a huge marketplace out there, and you are spot on, Alison. Um, Publica is actually um, targeting um, those areas where Amazon is not being saturated. So, yes, countries like Amazon, Brazil, and, and China, and all those places. And these are the places where people have more smartphones than they do have bank accounts. And so why I, well, I, why I was actually so interested in um, publishing and blockchain is because now, can you imagine being able to send school books to children in Africa or India who can't afford heavy paperbacks but now you can actually send these books straight to their phones and then once it's there it belongs to them and they can just send it on to their siblings or pass it on to their um, you know other people in the school so this could actually have really transformational benefits you know I think literature and education and the written word, word is um, one of the predominantly predominant ways to lift one out of poverty, you know, that gifting that knowledge um, um, of actually, um, you know, educating yourself and that opens up a lot of doors. So I do also believe that being able to publish content on the blockchain in this way and being able to supply that to countries who don't have, um, uh, you know, saturation of Amazons and Kobos, there's a huge market out there. So, um, you know, if there are authors listening, I urge you to sort of think beyond Amazon. That's not the only pond you can play in. There's a whole ocean out there you can look into and jump into. So, so I've got another question related to this. Sorry, I'm asking all the difficult questions today, so I apologise, but it's really fascinating kind of what you're saying and, and, you know, it's a really fascinating concept. So my question is around pricing. So I guess firstly, how do you set the, how does an author set their price on public air? Is it done in US dollars, the price, you know, that they want to get the royalty of? Or in pebbles and they're then subject to the variations in the kind of ratio between those things. And I guess leading on from that then, at the moment, if we take Amazon as an example, there's an Amazon US store, there's an Amazon UK store, there's an Amazon India store. Mm. And 
as authors, we set up prices differently in those different marketplaces, depending on what people are willing and able to pay in those marketplaces. Now, presumably, Publica is more of a, you know, because it's on the blockchain, it's more of a, a global initiative. So wherever you are in the world, you can purchase an ebook at the same price, which then to me gives a little bit of a, of a problem because if you set your price at say uh, $4.99 for example that actually prices out the whole Indian market but mm. if you price to the level the Indian market are willing to pay you're then essentially offering your book at a much much lower rate and a lower margin than mm. on any other platform in other countries so could you maybe talk us through that a bit Sure. So that, again, such a great question. So how do you price your book, first of all? So um, for uh, I'll take my example. So my uh, book retails at $14.97, um, which is roughly £9.99 uh, uh, if you're using uh, pounds. So what I did was um, Publica will ask you to uh, provide a price in USD. And then what they'll do is they'll convert that into a pebble price depending on the price of that day. So they'll calculate the average of the day. So when I um, so I have my book on the Publica store and every other day, if I go in and check the, um, the price, um, the, the price that's listed in USD will stay constant, 14.97. But if you look at the line below it, you will see the, the pebble price will change. Sometimes it'll be 53 pebbles or it'll be 73 pebbles or 74 um, so that does change. But no matter what happens, you are essentially getting $14 worth of um, uh, of pebbles. And yes, if the pebble price goes down the next day and you try to cash it out, then the value goes down. But if you hold it and the price goes up, then you'll get more. So I think this is really, um, again, for the person who owns the wallet to think about when do you want to pull the money out because there is volatility in cryptocurrencies. So there is, you know, um, no guarantee that if it's sold at one price, you will get that um, same value. Um, so the second question uh, yours was um, pricing in different geographical markets. So again, such a great question. So the very nature of uh, blockchain means that you don't know um, where the buyer is, you know, they could be in Africa or India or, or anywhere. So then how do you price your book as an author? Um, so this is a very good question. Um, and I will actually raise it to the CEO because at this point in time, um, you are, you can only pr um, set one price. Um, maybe there will be options. Basically you could set, uh, you could um, uh, probably publish another version um, and put it at a different price, but then you're just going to get people who buy the lower price. So yes, that's a great question. Um, but yeah, I mean, pricing in different markets, that concept came about through the Amazon model simply because they've got different stores everywhere. Um, but yeah, I think that's just a, it's a great question. I don't have a definitive answer to it, but it's actually got me thinking um, because my book is uh, priced at a very decent price if someone in the States or any European countries would want to buy it. But if there were, if someone in Africa or India was to buy my book, it would be a, um, a very expensive book to buy. So yeah, it's a great question, actually. I will ask the guys at Publica what they think about this. <laughs> yeah, because um, Africa, India, China are the markets that are really exciting to me as an author yeah. that I feel that I can't really reach. So that there's a lot of excitement in this for me, I think, getting those territories. I just want to dig into the, the, the business side of this because one of our policies on this podcast is we, we don't generally cover ICOs because 
that's the fly or die stage of a business that we um, they might get some money in but the business just might go belly up and that's it it's dead mm. um and and so with with publica it, it's a fledgling business in effect we're waiting for it to fly how, how strong is the business what's the kind of funding mechanism to keep all of this going because you're going to have to flap your wings a lot until you actually get to fly until you get traction yeah uh, great question paul so last november um the team at publica did their own ico um so an ico is an, an, an initial coin offering and it's a way to raise funds by giving away instead of shares um, um cryptocurrency um, um for your on on your company so they actually raised uh, a million usd in i think it was uh, a week or two weeks so that's the funding that they have um, they have a small but mighty team uh, working on developing the platform. So that's the money that's actually being used to build out the tech, pay the staff and do the marketing um, and, and bringing on board more authors and investors and readers. So um, the CEO, Joseph Marks, has been uh, more or less on a world tour really going to all the different um, blockchain summits around the world and book fairs and just talking about publica and getting more coverage um and uh, about you know sustaining and flapping the wings what what are we doing on that so the primary way of uh, publica making money is essentially when a book is sold um and so they take 10 percent uh, but you'll need many, many books, um, you know, to to sustain have a, have a sustainable business. So the second revenue stream that they have is they are going to allow um, authors to do their own book ICOs. And essentially, what this means is it's a way for an author to crowdfund their book, um, or if they already have a book, they can put it up as a, a pre-order or a pre-sale. And um, just a couple of weeks ago, Publica just completed the first ever book ICO with an author called uh, Nomadic Matt. So Matt sold um, a thousand. Yeah, he's nomadic, travels, travels a lot. <laughs> and, and he writes travel books. So he, he, he listed, um, you know, the book he wrote was a travel book. So he gave away 1000 copies priced at 10 USD. And his ICO ran for around three weeks. And he he hit his hard cap, which was a thousand copies. So he raised ten thousand uh, pounds, sorry, ten thousand dollars, and then um, he released his book to to those early investors. And um, what he did essentially was give away those books at a discount. And so the incentive for authors his followers essentially was to buy these books from him first because he was only going to release these books first on the blockchain and he's only going to go onto amazon and the other guys i think a few months later so that was one incentive second incentive was he was giving the books away at a discount and then the other um, incentive was in the inside pocket i think he gave a little mention to certain people and said this is a first blockchain this is a blockchain version of the book um so yeah, so um, just uh, circling back on that question, um, for every author that does a successful ICO, again, Publica would skim a 10% margin off that. So those are the two main revenue streams that they're looking at. And to for, for this model to be sustainable, truly, you will need um, a lot of authors um, on the system, people buying and selling um, many books. So that's why we're in the process of building our tribe, you know, building, uh, bringing the author 
authors and bringing the readers into this marketplace and encouraging um, authors to consider doing an ICO because, again, you're getting 90% of the funds and you have a lot more discretion and uh, creativity as to how you want to run that ICO and where do you want to send it, spend those funds. Um, because I know there's other websites such as Kickstarter and Indiegogo and I think Unbound, um, and they, they act as middlemen essentially, and there are terms and conditions applied to it. So for any entrepreneurial and um, you know authors who want to give it a go, a book ICO would be um, a good option. And um, just circling back, that that would be the other income stream for Publica at this point in time. Yeah, so I... I just don't know how it differed from Kickstarter and why you might choose one over the other. So did, did this author do it for a book he'd already written then? It's almost like, I guess, a, a flash sale on a book for launch? Or would you use it more? Because what I immediately thought of when I saw this was using it similar to Kickstarter to try and raise funds for a project to almost fund you to write it. So the, the kind of people who are supporting that project may not actually get the book until, you know, four or six months down the line. Can it be used mm. for that as well? Yeah, absolutely, Alison. So there's two really main ways an author would use an I, uh, an ICO. The one would, uh, the first one would essentially act as a pre-order. So you're just putting the book out there first, and you're offering it at a discount. And then once that ICO is done, the book will go into that catalog on Publica's um, uh, marketplace, but it will be at a higher price. So this is just an incentive to get uh, your fans to buy at a discounted. Uh, price and again you know you could set a hard cap of whatever you want thousand copies or just a hundred copies so it'll be a nice chunk of cash coming in on, on the day of launch essentially and then the second way an author could use an ICO is um, like you said um, raising funds um, to, to actually create the book so yes um, we do have um, so at the moment we do have some authors lined up who will be doing an ICO with us some of them already have the book almost already done but some have just come with an idea and a synopsis and they are going to deliver the book in six months time so they are looking to raise the money to to pay for an editor pay for marketing and social media and formatting and then they will distribute to the the book to those uh, to those early fans who gave that so yes to the two different different um, ways to use an ICO. Because we're in the Wild West days of cryptocurrencies and blockchain at the moment, you're talking about ICOs here, and I know there are some concerns that something like the SEC might come and, and, and bite some of these, these ICOs, and we might find that we've all been doing something wrong uh, yeah. with this. How, how sure can we be if we get involved in these ICOs that we're not suddenly going to end up with a big tax bill or find out that we've done something that becomes irregular. Yeah. Yeah, so this is a, a, a dicey topic. Because there is no clear-cut regulations, people are um, going on this on tiptoes. But the, the sort of the um, uh, umbrella sort of information or advice that we're giving. So again, this is, this is not professional advice, but this is just what we're doing at Publica is we are telling the authors that we are not liable for any of their tax payments that they have to pay. So, you know, uh, if any author is buying or selling books on the blockchain, it would be up to them to uh, put that in their personal tax, tax returns and then run it through their accountant and then do the necessary transactions on that side. Um, but I do think, you know, if the regulators do come back in two years' time and say, oh, you owe backdated tax, taxes on this and that, I think that is unfair um, because, you know, it's, it, like you said, it's the Wild West. I don't think they know really what they're doing, um, and they probably don't know what to tax and at which point to do it in. So I think, 
there is a lot of gray area, 50 shades of gray. <laughs> um, and I think people and uh, we will just learn uh, as the process goes along. But, um, you know, what I am doing is just trying to educate myself as much as possible and uh, read around the topic and just find out what other ICOs have done uh, and, and how they going how they are going about it and whatever information is out there, just trying to abide by that. So um, just going a little bit off tangent. So I do have my own business and um, um, I am looking to do an ICO. So I have already spoken to my um, legal advisors and I've asked them to go and look into the current ICO legislation that's already out there. And I've asked them, can we need to make sure that we are abiding by those at this point in time but then i don't know if there's other stuff that comes up later so it's all about making sure that you are covering your back and making sure that you are doing your best to make sure that you are within the guidelines that are available at, at this point in time yeah and i mean i again this we don't give any financial advice on this show um, but i guess perhaps the simplest thing is just to make sure that you kind of convert your pebbles through the royalties you've earned to fiat currency and and kind of take it out of that system yes um on a fairly regular basis and obviously you're not maybe then getting the advantage of holding that cryptocurrency for a long mm -hmm. time seeing it increase in value but you know then you can just record it as sales um mm -hmm. as you would coming in so i don't know if that's a sort of practical way around it even if it doesn't then give you all the benefits of uh, holding the crypto potentially <laughs> okay um, I've got I've got a, another question which is another kind of um, tricky one which a lot of authors uh, struggle with and not just authors but other creatives so I think this is a, a bit of a, a sort of broader question I guess for how the blockchain technology may be able to help or not and that is around piracy so have Publica got any safeguards in place to prevent you know, content which is put up on their platform, which readers can buy and download and own, as you said, from being pirated, put up on other sites or, or sort of passed around without the authors getting that payment? Yeah, so, um, so my understanding is... Uh, if you have a book on Publica's platform, because it's on the blockchain, it's it can't be broken. So if you buy a book token, you're essentially buying that private key, which gives you access to that particular book. And that book can only be read on the Publica app, whether it's on your desktop or it's on your phone. So there's no way of actually taking that book out. Even though the files are PDF files, you can't actually download it and send it off as an email. It's it's sitting within that app mm -hmm. so in that way you can't have someone copying it unless they're doing screenshots <laughs> right i don't know if someone's going to screenshot an entire book on their iphone um but there is no way actually that you can actually break into it um and you know if an author wants to update their book they will actually have to um um, get it, get get their file, uh, change it, and then upload it as a new version, and so it'll become a different version of that same book. So it could be same title, same everything, but then you might just have a little note saying typos were corrected. So any changes that are done, it, a new one has to go up, and uh, it's on the blockchain. It cannot be broken into unless the entire system collapses. You know, um, but yeah, it, I would say ninety nine point nine nine percent, if not hundred percent, a book cannot be pirated on Publica. Um, you know, that's my understanding. <laughs> I noticed over the weekend that Joel Cobb from the Bad Crypto mm. podcast has now put his latest book, um, Publica. Yes. And uh, I think it's fair to say that along with Laura Shin, Bad Crypto podcast is probably one of the biggest crypto podcasts. I think we're probably number three, Ali, at the moment. About number three, I reckon. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> probably. <laughs> but 
I mean, that's quite a, a, a big deal for adoption, isn't it? And it's a good, yes. strong signal, that yes. sort of thing that publica needs a bit more of. Yes, totally. So yes, Joel Com has like come on board and he's, you know, um, getting his books onto the platform and he's, he's a huge passionate believer in what we're doing as well. He's also, you know, similar to you guys, really excited about the potential. So we might not have all the answers, but it's just that prospect and the potential that's within it. And that's just what's so exciting. So yeah, that it was um, a big win, you know, to have him on board. Um, so yeah, it, it gives out a good message as well. And we're working really hard to get um, more authors um, on board. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if like the Stephen King's would put their books up on us uh, on our on our site because they're all tied up into these contracts but um it does give a good sing- signal when you do have someone with that influence to to join us great stuff so i've got one final question then we're going to wrap up and um, public is often obviously focused on books but how do you see blockchain technologies changing um the wider creative industries so for musicians artists photographers etc yeah, great question. So, um, so yes, books can be on the blockchain, um, but just going um, just like horizontally to journals, actually. So the scientific community, um, they have loads of journals and there is a huge, huge problem with making sure that the discoveries that are made are attributed to the right people. Because if that is not attributed to the right person, then that affects the funding that they get, which affects the research that they do, which therefore, you know, reflects on or or determines where the governments will put funding. Um, So that's a really, really uh, interesting thing, um, you know, to do. So having scientific journals uh, available on the blockchain so you can actually see who who actually wrote it. And then every time a new advancement is made in a particular topic, so say, for example, cancer research, that person who created that new piece of content can then add it on to that journal. So you see that entire trail. So whoever gets a Nobel Prize, there's no fighting. (laughs) You're like, okay, I can see there's like 15 of you guys involved in this research. So um, I know it sounds like a silly little thing, but it's actually a huge thing in the scientific community because these research papers um, are funded by governments and governments want to see results. And, um, you know, um, sometimes scientists are not, um, they are only incentivized to work on things where, um, you know, where the focus is. So now you can actually use um, this blockchain for, to allow uh, scientists to also um, uh, do research on other areas that are not fully funded. So they could do ICOs to do, you know, I don't know, um, different types of um, um, health issues that are not getting the traction that they need. Um, so, so that's with the content and, and written content. And then moving across to musicians. So um, there is an artist called Imogen Heap, and she has started to put her music on the blockchain. And there's other, um, uh, other companies out there doing the same. And essentially, um, it's pretty cool, actually. So um, I think there was a statistic, something like um, if, if you put a YouTube video out there, I think even the rubbish ones are listened to at least three million times, I think, over their lifetime. But the original content producer would not get anything back. Um, but if you if you basically um, uh, upload a song, a person can now actually just uh, buy five seconds or 10 seconds to test the music out. And then even when they're listening to 10 seconds worth of music, you will still get paid like 10 pence or 20 pence. And then if they like the rest of the song, then they'll pay for the song. Or if you have an album and they only want to 
pay for five songs, then you can actually just sell, you know, it's almost like a pay as you go. It's micro contents. And there's also this other um, site out there. Uh, I think it's uh, smoogs, uh, S-M-O-O-G-S dot I-O. Um, they're doing a really cool thing where you can buy, download a book for free. And every time you turn the page, that's when you will get charged. So they're micropayments per page. So if you're reading a book, I mean, how many times have you picked up a book and you're just like, oh, this is so rubbish after two, you know, 30 pages or so. So how great is it? You can download a book for free and it will only unlock every time you swipe and then it'll, you know, it'll debit 20 or 30 pence per page. Um, so that's really exciting. And then, yes, creatives can put music up and they can uh, do, you know, pay per second or, you know, per, per song. And again, the great thing is, you know, finally, content creators are getting the value that they deserve. And the, con the value is not getting stuck in this invisible middle layer uh, termed transaction fees and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I think there is a lot of scope for creatives. And I think this is, we are literally just at the, at the you know, top of the iceberg I think there's going to be a lot more possibilities and scenarios coming out of this and just coming back to the author thing again you know you have authors who come together and collaborate and write books together but sometimes they're put off because they don't know how to distribute loyal, uh, royalties so now you have an option where you just create the product uh, you set your smart smart contracts and configure them in such a way that an x amount of percentage of the sale goes to your editor or your cover designer and you know the other three authors for life and that contract just runs itself and determines and sorts out the finances in the background so you as a creative can carry on creating and doing what you're good at well i think this is so exciting and i love it because it's so tangible this one everybody knows what a book is everybody yeah. kind of gets the deal with this one and, and that's why we were so keen to get you on suki you've done a brilliant job of making something that could be technical sound very very exciting as an author <laughs> What about you, you. Alison? I'm, re I'm really excited. I you as an author. It sounds fab. Yeah, it's yeah. brilliant. And to be honest, I could keep on going on and asking secret yeah. questions all night, but it really wouldn't be fair to her. <laughs> Unfortunately, we're going to have to wrap it up there. That was Suki Jutla, the author advisor for Publica and the world's first number one best-selling blockchain author. Now, I was joined for that interview by my co-host on the Crypto News Podcast, Alison Ingleby. And if you want to listen to the Crypto News podcast, we kind of make crypto as simple as that on a week by week basis. If you've got even half an interest in crypto, the whole point of our podcast is to make it accessible and understandable by people who kind of want to know, but don't want to know that much. That's the whole premise of the podcast. So CryptoNewsPodcast.com if you want to find out more about that podcast. Now, I've got two books listed on Publica. I was the first ever author in the world, as far as I know, to have a sci-fi novel listed on their platform. And I was among the first authors to get my thriller listed, a bit more competition in the thrillers department. I'll provide all of the links to Publica, to my books, and to everything else that you need to find out more about this interview on this week's show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. That is it for this week's Paul's Podcast Diary, special edition. I'm going to be back with a regular episode next week. In the meantime, have a great week of writing and bye-bye for now. Thanks for listening to Paul's Podcast Diary. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed to hear next week's update and find out how many words get produced over the next seven days. Until then, we hope you have a great week of writing.